This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. I've said before how special this is. I've said how special he is, mostly because I'm contractually obliged to say so. He is, of course, Andrew Page, the managing director, the uh, founder, the chief cook and bottle washer, the man who makes the magic happen. Andrew Page, Esquire. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm pretty good, mate. How's things? I'm very well, thank you. You're smiling like a Cheshire cat over there. Did I? Oh, over, yeah, did I well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, no, I'm just, you, you know, you're well practiced at the intro now and you've, <laughs> you've, you've got it down to a fine art. I'm just enjoying the show. <laughs> Which I think means you're saying I'm predictable and boring. But that's okay. That's okay. I don't have a question Your for words. you this morning. What's that? I don't have a question for you. Oh, you don't? Okay, no. cool. Uh, now, I well, am Scott Phillips. If you're just listening, I'm from The Motley Fool, and together Andrew and I do The Motley Fool Money Podcast and have for years, uh, and we love doing it every single week, which is lots and lots of fun. Uh, mate, we're going to get into the mailbag. By the way, before we do, if you have a question, comment, idea, suggestion for us, please hit us up. We'd love hearing. Uh, we say this all the time, or semi-regularly. We kind of do this podcast. Look, Andrew and I would happily chat over a beer and just talk stocks anyway, uh, and that's all fun and exciting and interesting, but where the real value is, and we're at, I'm going to say my favourite part of the podcast, mate, is it yours as well? The mailbags? Mailbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so definitely. if you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear them from you. Uh, if you want to email us, if that's a long one, or you simply want to use the email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au, our member services team will look after you and make sure I get those questions. Otherwise, follow us on all of the different socials. You can send us a direct message there. Follow Andrew at sage underscore Simeon and at Strawman Invest. You can follow me on Twitter on at TMF Scott P or The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. Those two will also work on Instagram and I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. You'll find us there. Mate, before I go any further, actually, you, um, you've, hit the, you've, you've hit the big time on Twitter this week. I have. I have. Tell, you've got to be careful us, what you wish for. Don't I've, you? I've, I think there's an impersonator Notoriety, popularity... <laughs> it's happened to you eight, uh, heaps of times and it was sort of like funny until you realised, oh, wait a second, no, <laughs> scammers don't deem me important enough to even bother with. So I was like, it was, it was an odd thing to be offended by, but yeah. there was a little bit of that. And uh, yeah, but no, I've made it. Someone's out there. I don't know what the scam is. I assume it's some crypto nonsense or whatever, but if you see me slide into your DMs, as the cool kids say, and I've got something to sell you, run a mile. Yeah. <laughs> Close, it's not me. Same, same with me. I uh, can, can I say, Kelly, oh, Kelly I won't give away your surname because Kelly sent me a message uh, during the during the week and said, gosh, I got way too excited about a fake Ram Twitter page following me. I have <laughs> reported it. And so, yes, Kelly, thank you for doing that. Thanks for reporting. By the way, if you do ever get something scammy from us or anybody else, um, do every everyone else. It doesn't matter to us either way. Like it doesn't actually impact us, other than it kind of you know maybe reputationally. But help your your fellow listeners, viewers, social media followers by reporting this stuff. That'd be great. Um, uh, yes. Um, Can I just say, just in, ge- in, in just in general, if someone's got a secret formula <laughs> or an easy. <laughs> An easy money strategy for you. Nigeria. And they're just in the, you know, it's a a great one. It really works. And just in the kindness of their heart, they're reaching out to some random person on the internet to (laughs) offer it to for a small fee, of course. Uh, I mean, if that doesn't pass the sniff test, you know, (laughs) just use your heads. I think the Bitcoin one is normally, uh, deposit some Bitcoin in our account, we'll send you much more back. It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't think it works Uh, that way. Luckily, luckily, there's no pounding 
organization on Bitcoin that can actually stop those scams. Just anyway, uh, you're, you're getting it. You're getting it. <laughs> we'll move on from that. Uh, I will say though, so just quickly, just add uh, on top of that. Um, Check out, be aware of scams across the socials. Generally speaking, I got scammed on Instagram or someone spoofed my account trying to scam other people. Um, they generally just, for those who don't know, they normally use everything. They copy the entire profile. They'll even copy posts sometimes and post them. Uh, but what they'll do is the, the user IDs or Twitter handles. Is it called a handle on Instagram? I'm not clever enough to know that, Andrew. Um, I assume so. What they'll do is they'll basically change one character. So my Twitter I said is TMF Scott P., uh, the one that was done to try and spoof my followers, which is one of the T's was left off Scott. Andrews is Sage underscore Simeon. And the one that Kelly noticed had Sage double underscore Simeon. So they look kind of to the passing, you know, they try and just change just a little bit, something new, obviously different. And we can't stop that happening, right? That's the other problem is we can put man on the moon and, and AI, chat GPT is taking off, but Facebook and Twitter can't find somehow a way to uh, work out that if someone spoofs another account, copies it entirely, there's no, no algorithm in the world, Andrew, that can, that can find and solve that problem, which is remarkable, isn't it? Oh, there's a solution, but you don't want to hear me explain it. Correct. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, should we, should we go to Jerry's questions? Yeah, let's do All it. Right. Dive in. Jerry says, hi, good day, gents. Jerry from Melbourne here. Two questions for you. One, what's straw man? Oh, I thought it was too good to be <laughs> true when you didn't. <laughs> We're a private online investment club. Oh, mate. That, that's I, an easy I, I, one. I was off a long run on that one. I saw that come through from Jerry. I thought, oh, beauty. I had the opening well of the played. whole podcast already sorted out. Well um, played, sir. <laughs> Jerry does say afterwards, ha ha, does that ever get old? No, Jerry. No, it yes. doesn't. No, yes. it never gets old. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, it wasn't me. It was Jerry. I, I am but a vessel. I am a... I am a transition mechanism. I can't help but Enabler. Enabler is oh, the word that comes to mind. That's a different word. That's a different word. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, two, when one company is acquired by another, how do shareholders of the acquired company accurately determine the gains or losses in their portfolio? He says in brackets, and keep their accountant happy. For example, I went to bed one night happily holding shares in Milton Corporation, only to awake the next day to find myself a proud new owner of shares in Soul Pats. And the reason I was laughing is because I read half read ahead while I was reading that. And uh, Jerry says in brackets, insert Scott's disclosure here. For the record, I own shares in Soul Pats. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> I, I'm not required here. Jerry's doing the jokes. He's doing it. the disclosures. I'm, I've, I've got nothing. Uh, I recently made the jump, says Jerry, from an Excel spreadsheet to ShareSite. And I'm not sure how to demonstrate what the returns actually are. The buy mm. details for Milton have been populated, no worries. But when I input the Soul Pats info as an opening balance with zero cost base from the day after the acquisition date, the total value of the portfolio in ShareSite is way off the real portfolio. Any suggestions? Anyway, apologies for the dense accounting query, says Jerry. I hope I've made sense and there are others out there that will benefit from this question. Many thanks for the best value pot around. Cheers and fool on, Jerry. P.S. Kogan, drink. Love it. Jerry is, Jerry is taking yeah, I'm not, I'm long, not, long, I'm no longer a Long time listener right Long there. time listener. First time. Not even the first time caller, Jerry, but thank you. Um, let's do them separately, mate. I don't know if you know the, sh the share side answer. It's probably one best for them. You may, If you know it, that'd be great. Uh, but let's start just with the, the broader one for those who don't necessarily use share side or other um, programs. How would, if, you're, if your company's taken over, you used mm. to own 10 shares in Page Incorporated. Now you own 15 shares in Phillips Incorporated. How do you account for the capital gains? In that scenario. Yeah, there, there will be a price that is quoted for the transaction and that will be your uh, uh, exit price mm -hmm. and also your entry price yes. for the new position. Yes. So you, you are forced to sort of close a position in the eyes of the tax offer. You're effectively selling your shares mm -hmm. and, and putting that capital 
into a new into new shares. Now it might be a different number of shares. It's almost certainly going to be a different number of shares, but that's effectively what happens. So you keep it nice and clean that way. Um, and I believe on ShareSite, again, ask them, but I believe you can just manually uh, set that. So whatever I, you might know as a shareholder, mate, what the, what the notional price, uh, price was for that transaction, you just enter that in, one, one for the sale of, of uh, Milton and one for the purchase of SaltPad. So that's, that's how I understand it at least. I am interested that you answered that way, Andrew, because I was going to answer entirely differently. Oh, okay, um, okay. I might my, be wrong. My understanding is you can carry, if it's a compulsory acquisition, you can carry forward the CGT until the final disposal. Oh, you sorry. Now that you say that, you're, you are absolutely correct. I think that's true. Unless you dispose of your shares as part of the takeover, if you take some in cash, for example, on some in shares, then the cash component is taxable, but the, the share component, component is, always is not because it rolls right. from one to the other. So my understanding, I'm pretty sure it's true, is that if Milton, if, you, if, you're, if you're forced to effectively, because it's a compulsory acquisition, sell your shares in Milton, get some share, SOPAT shares instead, that CGT, I'm pretty sure, will roll forward into the new entity and the taxes payable when you dispose of those salt patch shares eventually, if, you, if and when you do, uh, at the then, the then price. Thanks for the assist, mate. I got that well wrong. <laughs> no, it's all, it, it, well, this is why it's tricky, right? Because it does depend, as you say. If you, do, if you take cash, it's absolutely uh, yeah. required. If you don't take cash, then it's a very different, different scenario. I think what's um, interesting too in terms of the... The shares, well, let's not go share side for now. In terms of what basically, if you let, now the reason you use different numbers is you very rarely go one for one. You very rarely sell mm. one Milton share, get one salt patch share. You might get mm. point something of a salt patch share or two point something of a share. And what's really important, Jerry, is you need to keep, it's the dollar value of your investment and the dollar value of the sale that matter. The number of mm. shares, you need to do it for record keeping to kind of divide it all up. But effectively, if you invest $100 and you sell later for $1,000, you made a $900 profit. No matter how many shares you ended up selling, what the number was, again, the pizza analogy kind of comes into play here. It's the mm. cost of your of your purchase and the value you get from the sale that that really determines what happens. Now, in terms of allocating it, I don't know what ShareSite does. Um, but if I was doing it in paper, I would say, right, well, I bought $100 worth of Milton shares. Effectively, I'm now going to spread that $100 cost base over the number of salt patch shares I now have. And that gives you your salt patch cost base if you want to kind of keep it like for like. Now, I don't know how ShareSite does it. I don't know. I do know sometimes they do have like takeover kind of a process that actually works automatically in ShareSite. So it might actually be worth hitting up their support team. They're normally pretty good and pretty fast. Uh, they probably give you something, I assume. I, I can tell you from our experience with Strawman that coding that stuff is hard. Well, it's just, <laughs> okay. it, they're all different, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so you can't automatically do it. And so often the data providers, the big names, Standard yeah. & Poor's, Morningstar, they get it wrong, yeah. you know, or they, they, they get it wrong at first and eventually yeah. fix it up much much further down the track. So it's usually going to be a manual mm-hmm. adjustment for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's worth um, – Because, you know, sometimes it's part shares, part, uh, part script, part mm. cash – uh, all out compulsory. There's all kinds of different things. I mean, the company will send all of the detail to you in some yes, pretty exactly. dense, very boring <laughs> to read form. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, but it is all. It, it will. It will all be contained there. Yeah, nice. Um, there is. I've just done a quick search. If you search the ShareSite blog, uh, the page or the, the the kind of the conversation is MLT and SOL merger. MLT was Milton. SOL was Solpats merger. Uh, and there's some commentary there you can kind of scroll through oh, too. I can't, I can't tell you. Again, I have not done it. I can't I promise you it works. But if you if you do a quick googling, Jerry, uh, that'll get you to to where you need to be. I think in, in, in pretty much. Um, it's it's always challenging, mate, when you come when it comes to takeovers and capital gains tax and that kind of stuff because 
you do kind of lose very quickly. And that, that's why record keeping is so important, right? Because you very quickly lose track mm. of, what, well, hang on, what did I buy? How much did I pay? And what do I now own? It's also, we've talked many times about the um, uh, the realities of, of dividends and dividend reinvestment and stuff. And I, I you know, I, I, I use I use ShareSite for what it's worth. It's not an ad for ShareSite. Andrew, has a, you have a, a referral code still? Oh, yeah. If you head to our blog, you'll get, I think, three months free or something like go. that. So, yeah. so if you're going to use ShareSite, do that. But whatever you use, it's just really important to keep keep really good records. So um, a good a good reason to keep things not necessarily more simple than you need to because sometimes the complexity is worth it. But uh, a reminder that if you're going to make things complex, just keep really, really good records, particularly with that sort of stuff because at some point you look back and go, hang on, what happened there? Um, you mentioned mm. actually the systems at, at, at Strawman, mate. I know our scorecards, we've had takeovers and stuff happen or I think it was the West Farmers Coles thing where it was like, oh yeah, yeah we, had, we, had to, we had to kind of, because like, we got cash and something else, then the, the returns got messed up because you had two component parts to the return of our original recommendation. The whole thing is just a complete mess. So yeah, I, I absolutely feel your pain. Yeah. What really does your head in too, if you really start trying to carve up performance, is multiple ways of measuring performance. Yeah, like it sounds true. like, wait a sec, there's surely only one. Oh, but no, yeah. you can you can annualize, you can have what's called money weighted returns, mm-hmm. you can have time weighted returns. And there's good art, there's pros and cons for each. There's no there's no right way. Yeah. And there's there's just, you know, um uh yeah, d- different strengths and, and weaknesses. So how important do you reckon record <laughs> how, sorry, not record, how do you, how important do you reckon keeping score is? I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's pretty important. Tell me why. Um, outside outside well, tax obligations, does it really matter? How my portfolio? You kind of you look for, for starters. You're 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 always going to be outperforming or underperforming over a given time frame. Like if you you, you will find a period where the, the, you've not done as well, and periods where you've done mm-hmm. better. And I would say, as a general rule, the shorter the time frame, the less meaningful that is. Yeah. But I think over time, I'd say after a you know three, four, five year period, I'd want to see evidence that I've I have beat the market because mm. I'm kind of wasting my time. Given that I can just buy, well, I can buy an index ETF and guarantee the performance <laughs> yeah, of the right. market. Yeah, you know. So you kind of I mean, some people get a lot of just inherent satisfaction and joy in 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 the thrill of the chase and the and and that's fine. That that that's worth whatever it's worth. But mm. but from a pure financial lens, it's kind of you've got to be doing or at least at least aiming to do better than the market to sort of justify the whole thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lot. We've talked before about how one, two, three percent outperformance can really add up over a over a long period of time. Um but yeah, I, I like I like to see that. I, I I think it would it it would at least give me pause for introspection yeah. and <laughs> review. Yeah. If I've been doing this for ten years and I've underperformed the market over that period it's just sort of like, oh gosh, something's not working. You, you you can blame the craziness of Mr. Market and short-term volatility on sentiment and emotion, but after a while, it's kind of on. It's on you. I don't know when that threshold is exactly passed, but yeah. What do you think? Oh no, I, I agree with you. I, was, I guess I'm just well. We've, we've talked. We talk a lot about you know being roughly right rather than precisely wrong. And I got to say, for me, but I don't remember the last time I actually checked my personal. Uh, this is the other thing about our jobs, right? I can't. I, I always say this. I, I hope my wife's not listening. She's not. I promise you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I care more about our members' returns than our, my returns. Not because I don't care about my own returns, but it's like you know, I feel the, the obligation of managing someone else's money, or we don't manage their money, but you know, giving them advice on that is, is weighs pretty heavily. So honestly, yeah. the only scorecard I actually really spend any time caring about is the the one for the services that I run, uh, rather yeah. rather than my own. But but also I mean yeah every now and again I check shares I go oh, okay I'm ahead of the market that's good I'm doing okay I guess I was yeah. just more 
in that in that roughly right kind of rather precisely wrong thing to your point about other oh, different ways of managing performance or you can do this and do that it's kind of like if if it's that close then you're probably better for the etf anyway I mean, other than, other than the yeah. fun and the hobby and whatever it's like you sure. know if if, if you sure. don't know that you're making you know at least a decent gap on the market i'm gonna say decent i don't mean 15 percentage points i mean just you know unless over time you're you're meaningfully doing better at some point you kind of like yeah, maybe it's time to, as you say, buy the ETF. You know, if it's, if it's that close, you don't know. So I guess yeah. when it comes to tracking performance, um, I, <laughs> it's not a plug actually at all, but um, the scorecards that we use at the Motley Fool, particularly when we don't have portfolios, we just have individual recommendations. We just track both the market and the company from the date of recommendation. Mm. And we kind of just average those. And, it, and, it's, and it's not the same as, to your point about this money-weighted and time-weighted. Yeah. But just the idea of like, yeah. if, if your average recommendation or your average purchase when it comes to you know shares isn't beating the market from the same date, I can't, for my, to my mind, mate, you can annualize and aggregate and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it's just kind of like, are most of mine beating the market? If they are, then I'm probably okay. And if they're not, then I'm probably not. Like it's it's really that idea of just yeah. being roughly right. I really don't have a lot of, like I love numbers, but I really have no interest in calculating my annualized performance to three decimal places, you know? I just, it's oh, just God, not, no. not me. No. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with all of that. I, and I would just reiterate that point though, expect the periods of underperformance yeah, that's great and expect them to last quite what feels like forever and i just here i just point to you name famous investor (laughs) x you know there's mr b yeah uh, is probably the best example there but (laughs) you know they 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 all and it's multi-year periods Mm -hmm. you know it's sort of par for the course and and this is what makes it so hard because well at what point where, where where do you cross that threshold of legitimacy in that and i don't know i don't know exactly when it is um, but, but I would, I would stress that because it can be, it can be, um, dangerous both ways with the short term. Mm. I know of a friend of mine who started, this is years and years ago, dabbling in the market. He's actually pre-GFC. Okay. Actually, I think it was 2006, 2007. Oh, wow. Okay. Started dabbling, oh, right? Not a great And just bolted out of the, <laughs> bolted out of the yeah. gates, right? And just turned a small sum of money into a very large sum of money very quickly. Just couldn't go wrong. And and started to believe that they were, you know, the next Warren Buffett. Gift, yeah. And the, the, you know, I've, I think I might have told the story before, but the, the, it's a tragic story, really. And it, long story short, it was all gone and then some, yeah. because the GFC happened and things turn around very quickly. So you've got to, I think, when you are experiencing those periods of under outperformance, you've got to remain a, a certain degree of humility. Mm. And on the flip side, when you're having those periods of of underperformance. I think you want to have objectivity in it yeah, and just sort of yeah. saying how much of this is the market just being the market and sentimental changes and, and, and the rest of it. How much are my businesses really not performing to the expectations that, that I kind of had? And so, again, it's, 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 it's just something to sort of – it's a touchstone to sort of test all of that against. But, yeah, it's, it is diabolically hard. It, it, it'll, it, does, it does send you around the twist a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example, mate. So – um, speaking of twelve month periods, I'm just looking at the share advisor scorecard now. I'm not going to, you know, this is this is both ways. Um, the last twelve recommendations we made were one a month. So the last twelve, we're beating the market on ten of those twelve, and we're actually in positive territory on ten of those twelve. Right? We are nice. absolute geniuses, which is which is awesome. Except that if you go back another twelve months from there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them are losing money, and one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, seven of them eight of them are behind the market. 
Yeah. So you kind of go, okay, well, was I was I stupid twelve months ago, and all of a sudden now I'm a genius? You know, the the mm. and we, in yes. fact we had members, yeah, exactly, we had members ask the same question of like, well, do you, well I, that, I, that last twelve months, people was like, what did you guys lose your touch? Like, have, you know, is mm. the mojo gone? Is the share advisor way finished working? Is is it over? And yeah. the last twelve months have been, hey, I'm a genius. Anyone's joined share advisor last twelve months is like, oh my god, that Phillips guy, he is he is a genius. He's making me a <laughs> the fortune. Midas touch. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? Exactly right. And you kind of go. And that's, and that's to your point, that's exactly the story. Mm. Um, and it's just a real reminder that, you know, these things are individual, you, you get individual stocks wrong. You get individual, uh, you, you, for, for large time periods, you know, and, yeah. and that's something, I haven't changed anything about the last 12 months with the stock picking versus the previous 12 months. Just, it was what it was, right? And it turns out, by the way, that previous 12 months was probably when, you know, tech stocks were running hot. And so we've, and growth stocks, a lot of growth stocks we bought during that period have, have gone down and then that's kind of flattened out mm. since. So it's also just partly a function of the market. Yeah, so it's you know it's yeah. all those things of just just being keeping in mind. I'm not I'm not claiming absolutely no genius for the last twelve months. Nor am I saying I was I was you know <laughs> so yeah. to mailing in for the previous twelve. That's just the way these things go. It's it's all about process yeah. and 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 pro and and the goal here it can never it's always a a probabilistic lens that you've got mm. to look through. You're just trying to shift the odds in your favour. It'll never be 100%. It'll never be 90%, certainly not for an extended period, or even <laughs> 80%. Right. You know, right. Peter Lynch used to say, you're good in this game if you're right six times out of 10. But, you know, the, the analogy is it's like, you know, if, if you and I are going to uh, flip coins and I've got a weighted coin which I know is going to land on heads 60% of the time, <laughs> yeah. I will play and play and play <laughs> Even if it like well, I fl- uh, throw ten tails in a row, yeah. like I'm just going to keep doing it. Right. The exactly. results yes. would yes. the results would. This is where it's like results versus process. Mm-hmm. So the results will sort of say in that short run, well, you're doing something wrong, but the process will say no, you're doing something exactly right. And it's just it's just you know it's it's going to and there's going to be a lot of noise and there's going to be a, a a lot of false positives and all the rest of it, but. Um, this, this is why I think we always come back to the same thing again and again yeah. and again and again. And it sounds oversimplified and, it, you know, it's, it's a bit flippant, but good businesses mm-hmm. at good prices, mm-hmm. held for the long term, yep. just generally tend to do well because that's a good process, <laughs> exactly. right? That is a good, that is a good process. And, and it, you go into that knowing that, well, it, it is a good process, but, but that process will absolutely mathematically, probabilistically guarantee that I'm going to have a bunch of dogs in there. I'm going to have a bunch of periods of underperformance, but that doesn't mean it's broken or it doesn't work. It just means that it, it will out over time. You've just got to A, stick with the process and B, give it time. And, then there, and that is, that is a, a very hard thing to do. And that is why so few people do it. You know what's interesting, mate? I I think I've said this before as many words. I'm pretty sure I have on the podcast. Certainly written about it. I actually think successfully investing is best defined as our ability to overcome our evolutionary instincts. Yeah. The the idea of like yeah. don't just do something, sit there, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you're on the savannah. You're not like you know what? I'm going to put some berries away for uh, sixty years. <laughs> you know, I'm going to save this up yeah. for my retirement when I need some more. And obviously, they wouldn't stay, but just, you know, the, the the very the very reality. Honestly, I really do think if you think about what it takes to be an investor, it's to, it's effectively just being able to sideline every impulse that in most other forms of life, most other pursuits in life, uh, in most other times in history, just didn't make any sense. I mean, we, we're literally trying to invert the entire lesson of evolution. I mean, it's not, maybe it's not exactly over, you know, opposite, but it's not miles off it. If you think about, you know, all those, bird in the hands with two in the bush. No, no, actually, 
You know, <laughs> leave it in the bush. The bird in the hand means the birds in the bush can't breed anymore and there can't be eight mm. and 16 and then 32 and there's 64 and 128 <laughs> birds. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? It's all those things. Mm-hmm. Everything we're taught, with the, with the exception of Aesop's t- tortoise in the air, everything we're taught is is just completely opposite to what makes for good investing. Yep. It's a, it, it's really, I mean, it's, it's why I think, uh, I don't know how to say this. I think a lot of really successful investors are a little bit weird. Like, <laughs> investors are a group of weird, just quite with it. Aren't they? You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, like, it, it, and, and yeah, I, I think in, in any other pursuit, another period of history, mm-hmm. it, it would not be a happy existence. But fortunately, we live in a time where that's a skill set <laughs> right. that you can use to yeah, your advantage. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Hey, um, mate, let's, let's move on. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of growth stocks, speaking of evolution, uh, one from Dan. Hi, gents. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the medicinal marijuana industry, and in particular, Can Group. The industry was hot, in quotes, a while back, and seems to have cooled. Was it just meme stocked? Are investors not sure on the industry in general, so not talking about it anymore? Or is there just that there are better opportunities elsewhere? Cheers, Dan. Um, mm. It's one, mate, I use regularly as an example of what I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plump, I think you probably will too, on Dan's thought that maybe it was meme stock land. Um, or not even meme stock land necessarily. Meme stock actually suggests it's kind of the social media driven thing. It was just the hot stock because it was the hot stock because it was the hot stock. And when the prices were going up, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy of medical marijuana is going to be hot. Look, the share price is going up. Oh my goodness, medical marijuana is going to be hot. Look, the price is going up. In that, that, that self-reinforcing loop. These are shares, by the way. So back in 2017, 67 cents a pop. They went up to $4.01 by the 5th of January, 2018. So this was a, it wasn't close enough to a seven bagger, uh, maybe six bagger in seven months. <laughs> then the shares went from $4.01. They're now sitting at 16 cents. Um, it's it's very much a story I, I'm going to suggest, mate, of uh, a little bit too much excitement for a business that frankly still doesn't have earnings some mm. six and a half years later. Uh, uh, not to say it can't or won't, but this is, to my mind, one where sentiment, expectation, uh, momentum, whatever else, uh, took over and maybe got disconnected from fundamentals. The question, though, of what comes next is a really good one. And so I'll answer that one, but I'll let you have your thought on how did we get there and what was the medical marijuana industry for the last six or so years? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to talk about it without giggling a little bit. You know, it feels a little bit naughty as a stock and it doesn't feel like it could be a serious investment. Not giggling because you imbibed before the show. Can I just <laughs> yeah, right. But, but, you know, there's, there is – legitimacy to some of the beliefs that were there. I mean, there are a lot of um, purported great benefits with it. It seems as though the regulatory hurdles were being cleared. We've seen how big that industry can get, particularly in the US where it's been um, commercialized and decriminalized and all of these kinds of things. And, and, you know, in 2018, the company was making, you know, $500,000 in revenue. Last full year, it made $6.5 million in revenue. So that's, you know... You get it, right? It's it's not as though the world went completely mad, but I think too often investors get they mix up sort of what Howard Marks <laughs> calls first order thinking and second order thinking. Right. So they take an industry that has the potential to get very large very quickly mm. and that there's going to be a lot of players and a lot of money spent in that industry and they automatically assume two things that one everyone that's sort of branded as as a player in that space is is going to do well and that the success will be rather immediate. And 
you know, it just it gets to a point where it's sort of like there is so much in the price there that it just can't possibly live up to expectations, even if it does show some decent growth. And it has shown some decent growth at the top line. Now, coupled with that, I mean, is the, is the sense that although their revenues have been growing, their profit has been worsening. In fact, there is no profit. There's just a loss. And even though they're only making 500,000, you know, uh, back in, in 2018, the, the net profit was, well, it was a loss of 4 million. Today, despite all the growth, they're now losing $26 million. So here's another lesson is that it takes money to, to make money and, and, and growth requires investment. And often costs can run way ahead of the revenues that come in and yes, companies exactly, get into yes. trouble all the time yep. over yep. that kind of stuff. So I don't, I, as much as it sort of feels ridiculous in in hindsight and I'll admit I, I was absolutely saying it's not going to end well at, at, at the time because yeah. of all of these 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 factors yeah. but not to say that you, yes there, there is something here but then <laughs> how big can it get how likely is that to happen what are the risks against it not happening what does that future look like what are the economics of this kind of business at the end of the day it's a weed like Literally naked weed, yeah, right? right? It's exactly. not hard to yeah, grow, yeah. as I understand it, you know. And 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 you've got to wonder where is the competitive advantage here? There'd probably be some some licensing uh, advantage that you yeah. could have. There's certainly some scale advantage and distribution and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it always felt to me as though, and still feels this way, I'm, I'm pretty confident longer term, there'll probably be a more legitimate industry uh, around this, but I suspect it will be pretty commodity type margins mm. um, be, because, you know, and anyone who's in this space making, let's say 20% net margins is just going to attract competition like you wouldn't believe. And that's what's going to drive margins down. And And you can entirely have a very big growing sector, but very poor shareholders. And the classic example, I know we talk about it all the time, is airlines, right? So it's just, it's a great, it's a great, Correct. it's a great example of that. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's, um, I, I find this one, yeah, look, I'm, I'm with you, mate. I, so a couple of things I think are worth, are worth pointing out. And this is where, this is one that went badly. So if you know, for every Fortescue that goes to the moon, a, a can group, something else goes badly. And they both mm-hmm. start with, hey, Interesting idea, interesting theme. Maybe possibly if this thing got big, imagine how big maybe it might possibly one day be. And I'm deliberately yep. throwing lots of coulds and possibilities there because that's kind of what happens, right? Everyone gets excited yep. about- exactly oh, what happens. Well, this, yeah, this could, this could be a thing. And everything that starts could be a thing, right? Every possible cancer treatment, and we hope they all are, but they're not. Uh, every possible gold explorer, every possible, in this case, medicinal cannabis, by the way, lithium, I think is probably uh, running in the running as something that may well either do well or badly and again in this same vein can group had not much in the way of revenues no profits uh there was no particular time frame for the licensing of medicinal marijuana um it, it was all a case of if some things might happen then this, these things might do well and in a parallel universe can group shares are probably 16 dollars a pop right now rather than 16 cents because Things changed. <laughs> Governments jumped on it. They found some way to have a competitive advantage to your point, mate, some sort of moat or or something. And they became the biggest group in the in the sector and they cornered the market. And, you know, the, the, the newest billionaires were the Can Group founders. That, that, that's one version of this. And so mm. I guess that's why now, now the challenge with that is you talk about probability before, mate, because there's there's a thousand of them that want to be the next X, CSL, the next Fortescue, the next whatever. Maybe one or two will. So the odds are dramatically against you 
if you're trying to find the one that might be the next one. doesn't mean the story's not compelling, but it is just that, a story. And particularly when investors are getting excited about this stuff, at 16 cents, frankly, the same problem still exists. I mean, you know, there is, this thing's not profitable. There is a, there is a, you know, a chance. It goes really, really well from here and we look back and go, man, 16 cents, what a great time to buy a kangaroo. There's also another possibility that it has to raise a lot of money uh, to keep itself afloat. The shares are three cents in five years' time. We go, huh, well, there you go. That's what happened. Mm, you can't yeah. know in advance what, what that's likely to look like. And I think that's the real challenge. Uh, I mean, mm. sales are still two cents a share, have been for the last couple of years. Um, cash flow has been negative for the last five, six years straight. Earnings have been negative for the past six years straight. Um, these are the challenges that these sort of businesses face. By the way, number of shares outstanding, 100 uh, million shares in 2017. 350 million today, which is part of what's driven the share price down, by the way, but also not surprising because they're raising money and raising money and raising money, desperately trying to find a way to be cash flow positive and stop burning cash. So can I make a can I make a yeah, wild please. prediction? Go on. They will be raising money in the very near term future. <laughs> Have you looked at the balance sheet or just a, on, on balance? I just brought up the latest four C, oh, which is a companies. Um, that are unprofitable. I forget the exact rules for it, but they have to lodge quarterly cash yeah. flow results. And uh, so what you can see for the most recent quarter ended 31 March is they made 4.1 million in sales for the quarter, which is really great, but they had something like 9 million in expenses. So they bled $5.6 million. And again, that's not, not and by the way, not necessarily a bad thing for a growth company. You can spend a lot of money up front and get really reap benefits longer term. But the reason why I can be so confident in my prediction is you just <laughs> scroll down the page and it's got cash at the end of the period, 1.2 million. Oh, so they don't even have another quarter's left of, of cash. Oh, wow. Left. Okay. So that you know, that's yep. why the shares are where they are. I'm, I'm suspect. Maybe there's some more nuance to that, but this is just me literally bringing up the most recent 4C and having a look at it, which, by the way, how easy was that, listeners? Like you can do this too, all on ASX.com. Yep. It's a really great thing to read for these early stage companies. It'll tell you, away from all the counting mumbo jumbo, how much money came in, how much money went out. Where was it? Where did it come from? Where did it go? How much and is left in the bank? How much is left? Exactly. That's the key one. You that? know, and that is that is a very, very, very uh, easy yeah. way. And by the way, I'm not divining. I'm not Nostradamus here. It's no <laughs> secret. Everyone, of course, is hyper aware of this. But yeah. it is a yeah. trap for, for, new, for new players. And uh, yeah, so what do you do? Um, I, I think. I think. I, I don't want to throw shade at the company at all. I wish I wish them every success in the future, but I think an objective look at it will basically say, well, you've got a company here that incredible opportunity, growing really strongly at the top line, but just burning through cash at a prodigious rate, an ever-increasing yeah. rate, yeah. in fact. And and so, yeah, you might look back in time and go 16 cents, what a, what a bargain. But we, I know we make this point a lot, but I'll make it again, is you don't have to be early. You, you, can, make, you can get in at a higher price, but at a much lower risk-adjusted sort mm -hmm. of entry point. And that's still pretty good, right? I mean, do, do you want do you want a one in a hundred chance to get a hundred x? Yeah, right. Okay. Or, or or do you want you know a four out of five chance to get a fifteen percent compound return type yeah. thing? You know, one's obviously much better, but it's just a it's a moonshot at a certain point. And I just don't know, as an analyst or as a, as a curious investor, how you can really know with conviction exactly which way it's going to go based on what we we know at this point in time. So, you know. Put it, put it on. If if it, if it grabs your attention, chuck it on a watch list. Look, look. Say in advance, what do I need to kind of see before I take this start seriously? For me, it would be a real 
a real reduction in the cash burn <laughs> and the short up balance sheet as a minimum. And then I'd, I'd take a much closer look at it. Nice. I love that, mate. I think that's true. Um, so yeah, putting a quick line under this one, it was a story stock. People got excited about it. Honestly, I'm kind of contrarian a bit by nature anyway. But honestly, when everyone's jumping on the latest new thing and the share price is rocketing, uh, buy now, mm. pay later, lithium, mar- medical marijuana. Yep. Yep. What else, mate? Missed I mean, it, missed it, missed it. Hey, to our point earlier about looking wrong for a long yeah, period of time, right? right? Good example, yeah. God, yeah. I can't tell you how many times yeah. I was on Ausbiz or something like that, yeah. and here I am sort of being Mr. Doom and Gloom. <laughs> I just don't – and not that yeah. – you know, and it, it – you. You feel pretty dumb because, again, yeah. in hindsight, it looks different. But these were very long, many, many, many months of this thing yes. just going yes. further. And you look in and going, that's ridiculous. It yes. can't possibly go yes. any higher. And then it doubles mm-hmm. and then it doubles again. And mm-hmm. it just, you got a lot of egg on your face during that period of time. But it is, it, again, it's resisting that FOMO and just sticking to the process, yeah. uh, as I said, usually works out. There you go. Uh, let's go to one from Brent, who says, G'day, Scott and Andrew. I have a brief question about the term consensus. I hear it all the time where a company performs or otherwise against consensus. What is consensus exactly? Um, So there's any number of brokers and analysts and stuff out there. They will, uh, as part of their coverage and service to their clients, they will provide price targets, recommendations, expectations of next quarters, halves, financials, what they think the earnings per share might be, et cetera, et cetera. And they publish all of this and people just aggregate it together. So it's like a poll of people who have with publicly disclosed sort of uh, research on this company. Now, how seriously you take it is, <laughs> is, an, is another thing. And this isn't just to, again, try and be um, curmudgeonly and, and difficult and, yeah. and negative towards a lot in this, this space, but it is a guess. You say consensus estimates, forecast sounds very scientific. It's guess from from people, and I, I often have friends send me research reports on companies that I own, mm. and sometimes you're very happy to receive it because they go, "Oh, they like it too, <laughs> yeah. and it's a very nice high target price." <laughs> oh, oh it confirmation must be right. bias. How good is that? Yeah, exactly. You know, because yep. you look yep. at the, you, you read the top, right? Is it a buy? Is it not? What's the target price? Usually, like the, the shortcut. The, the number of times that I've dug into it, and you kind of go, "Wow!" To get that and again you can i can deliver you any number you want me to deliver i'm not saying there's any nefarious sort of actions behind it but again i can and you 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 start it's not so much what those forecasts and that are but it's what's the reasoning that's behind that wow they expect sales to triple and they expect the margin to like expand by 10 basis points or whatever it happens to be over that that that's the more interesting thing not the number itself but how you got there and how sensible that that is so they they're useful to some degree. I, I, I actually, I cheat a bit when, when I'm like first looking at something. <laughs> I, it's curious to sort of say, well, those that have followed it at least, they might be as fallible as, as we all are, but but where where do they sort of uh, land on this? The funny thing that, that, that sort of sends you crazy is, is that <laughs> it's always the company that misses the forecast. Mm. It's not the forecaster that missed reality, um, which is a little bit of a bugbear that I think you and I both both share, but that's exactly what the case is. The company's always going to do what it was going to do and, and you guessed wrong. Uh, it, it wasn't a miss by the company. It was a miss by you. <laughs> that is so true, man. I, I, that's the, it drives me bananas. Um, yeah, company X missed expectations. Like, no, it was never trying to get that. You were putting expectations on it, you know. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you control the narrative, right? Uh, I'm I'm mindful of this week when we had the federal budget and they talk about cost of living relief and everyone parrots the line, cost of living relief, cost of living relief. And the average reader of the paper or listener to the news always says, oh, I think I'm going to be cost of living relief. That sounds good. Now, I know you have issues about the, the phrase cost of living, but even that aside, 
When you get to paint government spending as cost of living relief, you're kind of already winning the winning the PR war, right? When people when people parrot that, whether you agree with it or not, it's a different thing. When people parrot yeah. that phrase, as if the government is doing this, the government's doing it, the government's doing it, the government's doing it. But I've heard a, a, a you know a Polly or a newsreader or a journo say or write that phrase a dozen times. The spinners mm. in the in the the political office are like, yes, they're all using our phrase. That's awesome. They're going to love us after this. And it's just yeah. it, every, everything's about context and framing. It's just a really really important thing to remember. Um, yeah, company missed expectations. That's your fault, not mine. Well, did you yeah. make the expectations? <laughs> yeah, but it's his fault. He missed them. Well, I don't think that's how it works. So no, I I, I love that, mate. Uh, also, I'm going to just throw one more thing on consensus though. Um, just a reminder. I think. The, the market is made up of all the participants in the market, right? So everybody who buys and sells or could buy and sell, the, the, the kind of net result of those who do and those who could is, is what sets prices in a, on a daily basis. If you look at consensus estimates, say, oh, that's what the market's expecting. It's like, that's what gives you the current price. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, is, there, is no, there is no free lunch from knowing that consensus because, uh, I mean, the market's not super efficient. There are other players who don't give their estimates and blah, blah, blah. But broadly speaking, if BHP is expected to earn, I don't know what the numbers are, let's say $3 a share. I don't know how close that is to reality. Um, mm. Oh, because this is $3 a share. Okay, that's good. Everyone goes, okay, three, we all think it's $3. Great. How much you pay for that? Oh, $30. Okay, well, that's a fair price. Yes. So if I think they're right about the consensus, they're probably right about the share price. If they're right about the share price, where's the opportunity? You know, there's just, yeah. there's just that. Yeah. And of course, share prices are more than just one year. But I just wanted to remind people that if you say, I'm going to buy stuff that's mispriced because the market might be wrong, and then you ask the market what it thinks and use that information to help yes. make your investment decisions, you would literally just completely undermine your entire idea, which is, I'm going to pick stocks by taking my own view. And that's not bad. Yes. But again, if you're at that place, buy the ETF. That, that's when you buy the if you don't want to, If you don't want to do the work to have a view, um, again, I'm not being critical. I'm not, not trying to challenge anyone directly, but- you, you can't. I mean, you, you might be lucky and do it. You can't consistently and probabilistically, to your point before, Andrew, beat the market by asking the market what it thinks, taking that into account, paying a price based on that, and then saying, "Why didn't I beat the market?" It's like because you literally asked the guy playing the game if you could play his game. That, that's what you yep. literally just did, and then wondered why you <laughs> yeah. couldn't win. You know, yes. the house always wins, and you're part of the house. Um, a lot of listeners will be familiar with Bill Ackman. Um, uh, pretty famous uh, US investor. His fund is called Variant Perception, yeah. um, which I've just always loved the name. It's I've nice loved the label, phrase, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. isn't it? it and, and it's really saying, I mean, you have, by definition, you're mm-hmm. buying something, it's because you think it's good value. If it's good value, it's because the market doesn't see it. If the market doesn't see it and you do <laughs> yeah, see it, it's because right. you've got a variant perception. Correct, correct. And 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 it's, it's kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, exactly. When everyone and the consensus thinks this and you think that, mm-hmm. that's a, that is an extreme – well, it's a big act of arrogance, frankly. In, this, this is the – we've talked about the dilemma with investing before, the, the humility to recognise that you could and probably can be wrong and to act on it, but the strength of your convictions and arrogance to know that you're right and the market is, is the one that's got it wrong. It's a very difficult ba- balancing act and very uncomfortable, but that's – what you got to have. You got to have a variant perception. You either need to, when looking at these consensuses, you need consensi? Consensus? What's the oh, problem? Consensus. Consensus. Yes, I don't know. The plural. I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't. You've you've got to ask yourself: Is is there? I need to have a better view of what they think the company is going to do or a better view of how the market correct, correct. will value that outcome yes, exactly. for, 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 me, for me to sort of get that outperformance. Again, as you say, by, by definition. And 
Yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's it's an act of arrogance. So you need to yes. have that conviction yes. to to really to, to back yourself. Because even if you're right, it is going to probably take some time for others to recognise that you're right. And in the meantime, all kinds of difficult things can happen with the share price. But you know, hundred percent true. Which is why I often say you can borrow. And I'm always very reluctant to mm. give recommendations. To people because it is it is you can borrow an idea you can't borrow the conviction and if you want to hold you you kind of need that conviction and you can't you can't get that just from well I heard Scott say it on the on the podcast you know it, it needs to be I've done the work I've got the belief I've got the conviction it's never going to be 100 sure but but yeah you, you you need a variant perception and the conviction to stay with it Motley Fool Money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's, um, let's go to Brent's second question because he says, also, I was just watching an episode of The Call on Ausbiz when the analysts were talking about a particular company. Long story short, he says, I thought I had my head around the company, but, and this is a quote from one of the analysts, quote, if you look at analyst forecasts, there's a $500 million CapEx spend coming up in the next two years for a $200 million market cap company. He says, which as the analyst points out, is a concern. As in these markets, where will the money come from? But my question is, can regular old unsophisticated investors like me gain visibility of this sort of information somehow? Also, can we see consensus anywhere? Uh, yes, you can get access to that information because generally speaking, the companies will disclose that in their decks or in their material. If they are going around giving information to institutional investors and private analysts that they are not sharing publicly, I would argue extremely strenuously that they are passing around inside information, yes. which is which is illegal. So they're usually pretty aware of that. And, and, and I'm just going to stop you really quickly. We say their decks. I was trying to unjargon this for a second. When you say the companies have it on their decks, what are they? What are you talking about? Where uh, you find them? So, yeah, these days everyone has a PowerPoint presentation yeah. and it's it's just much prettier way to digest rather than just a document. There's pictures, there's slides, there's charts. There's all these kinds of things in there. And, and they generally, anytime you get a release, it's usually done in a quote-unquote deck. So it's yeah, a presentation a deck. Exactly. Yeah, presentation right. deck. Yeah. Back in back yeah, in the yeah. day when it used to be a printed. When I first started working, mate, I used to make the PowerPoint presentations up. Then I would print them out, bind them, and take them to the meetings. Yeah, That's how I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was literally a deck. It was a, it was a de- yeah, paper deck. Yeah. With a, you know, a chunk of information, yeah, yeah. 60, 70, 80 pages of literally bound A4 pages, color printed if we were lucky, with that uh, with information on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so so the information will be there. Sometimes it's not explicitly said, but it may be that some, you know, some analysts get way into the weeds. The ones that really do their jobs well may have come to that con- that conclusion because of the age of their plant and equipment or various other things that just look at some point, they can't push this away forever. I remember with Sigma years ago, they were competing against API at the time. API had spent gazillions on updating their logistics infrastructure and the rest of it and, and Sigma hadn't. So Sigma made a lot more cash. APA burnt through a lot more. But then a few years later, it's like one was well behind the other and people could see they had to modernize. They had to sort of spend it even before the company admitted it. So this is, again, the value of getting really close to a company and, and knowing it and, and the rest of it. But but look, generally speaking, those big things they they will say. By the way, I wouldn't nec- – I don't know the company, but I wouldn't automatically say that that's a bad thing. Um, Except that we spoke they're going to have to – they're going to find two and a half times the market cap to do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, yeah. So I actually, just before I got mm. on um, this call with you, we mm. for Strawman, we spoke to the CEO of Paragon Care, uh, Mr. Oh, nice. Mark Hooper. There's a medical equipment distributor, whatever, and they roll up play. They do lots of acquisitions and the rest Is of it. Ex-Sigma Mark and Hooper, speaking of which? Yes, actually oh, it is. Yes. There you go. Yes. A nice segue. Yes. Um, uh, but he made the point that like when there is a clear and evident investment opportunity, mm. it's usually not hard to raise the money, which I That's think is point. a reason, reasonable point. That's a really good uh, point. It, you know, so if, it, I mean, it depends on the circumstance, right? But if they've got something that for some reason they've got the opportunity to have a crack at yeah. and it's going to require you to raise a bunch of money and dilute a bunch of people and take on the risk of execution and the rest of it, it could still absolutely be the right move for you, even if you don't top up your shares and you cop the dilution because it just becomes more valuable. Again, anyone who's done a business knows this. You spend the money on day one to sort of set up and then the money sort of comes. So these kinds of big things can can really knock financials around for the short term but can prove to be incredible investments long term. So I don't share the view, and I don't know what the analyst said exactly, but I do hear it often, oh, they're going to do this, therefore bad. And it's like, well, yes, it's risk because it might not work out. And and, and, they, you, so you, you, if it, and if it doesn't, and frankly, we know that the two-thirds of acquisitions don't work out, um, statistically speaking. So I, it's it's definitely something to be aware of. I just don't jump automatically to that conclusion that it's that it's bad. Yep, I think that's I think that's right. Um, what can I add to what you said? You've covered it all beautifully, mate. I, I guess a couple of quick a couple of quick thoughts. Um, often, as you say, mate, a lot of that number, those numbers will come from uh, the decks themselves. It can be the case that the consensus estimates are created by analysts who fill in their own spreadsheets. So it's possible, for example, if you're an organisation, there's a couple of them out there that collect all these forecasts. There may well be a capex line on those forecasts, and it may well be the company is like, okay, well, I know they've said they're going to do this thing. I reckon thumb suck. Okay, let's call it half a billion dollars. Let's put that in a spreadsheet. So it may the numbers actually may not be available in black and white in those presentation decks. That might be sure. inferred by the analyst. I mean, that's hope. I mean, as much as we bag analysts with you know missing expectations and all that kind of stuff. I mean, these these people work hard to try and understand their businesses and put their own numbers in some spreadsheets, try and work these yeah. things out and get it roughly right. So they're not not going to, by choice, <laughs> um, you know, get, get it wrong. And they're going to put some effort into either from the decks themselves, which hopefully it's there would be nice and easy. If it's not, they're probably just thumb sucked and going, okay, well, they're going to make five more plants, they're going to do this and that and the other, and that's probably what's going to happen. So it's possible yep. That it's not publicly available, not very likely. I think Andrew's most likely right. It's probably in a presentation deck somewhere, uh, but just keep that keep that in mind. Um, Don't forget too, if you really get a bit further into the weeds here, <laughs> capex won't impact necessarily profitability or anything. Right. It's just the way because that investment is capitalized on the balance sheet. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not <laughs> on the income stuff. It's very much a cash flow movement. I, again, you just yeah. you've got to be aware of that nuance. Yep. And if you get it wrong, you will have a write down. And at the time, they will say, "Well, it's a non-cash impairment." It's like, "Well, yeah, but it's very much, it very much is a real actual cash cost to that." It's just, totally. it's just the way that all of the accounting works. And I, I, I would, I would encourage people. I know you've um, said this before as well, but you don't need to be a CPA by any stretch of the imagination. But I think some basic accounting—it's the language of the trade that oh, we're yeah, in. Absolutely. You know, 
you, 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 it's not, it's not super complicated, frankly. You know, the big, the big brushstroke kind of ideas, the major statements, what they tell you, some of the key line items that are worth keeping track of. They, they are, again, I know a lot of people will be listening to this guy. It sounds very boring and a lot of hard work and it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it's a skill. It's a skill. And it's just everything that can add up to give you an edge is, mm. is worth pursuing. Um, and also I also too, mate, like I'd be really clear to your point there. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to discourage anyone from investing because investing is incredibly powerful. But yeah. also kind of, if you're looking for the shortcut already, you know, how can, can, I, can I just plug it in and also beat the market and make a fortune? You know, it's like, if it's that easy, everyone will already be doing it. And I don't mean that to anyone in particular listening. I certainly don't mean it to the person who asked the question. Uh, it's not about it's not about that, Brent. When I'm not trying to say, you know, because you can't work it out, you don't deserve to do well or buy the company. Just know that... To Andrew's point, it kind of does, it, it does require a bit of application, you know, knowledge mm. first, and then application of that knowledge, because um, you can't do the work. Otherwise, again, we're back to that market consensus thing you asked about originally, which is if everyone's assuming the consensus numbers, you're going to get the consensus result, which is probably about the market average, which means buy the ETF. Yeah, literally, just buy the ETF. Save yourself the hassle and the cost and the time and the effort, and just regular dollar cost average on a good ETF, and that's most of the work you'll probably need to do. Um, yeah, but I, don't don't think. On. I mean, it get like anything. It gets easier with oh, practice. Yeah, gotcha. Absolutely. You know, and it is not. It is not unobtainable. You don't need yes. to have the brain the size of Jupiter. To, you, you really don't. I, I, I'm not. I'm and not trying to. Don't start with of, those companies. Don't start with a 200 million dollar market cap company with a 500 million dollar capex requirement. Look at Woolies or David Jones or David Jones mm. or Meyer or something. Don't necessarily buy them because you look at them, but look at them because they're easy to understand. You know what they do. You know how they work with a bit of just a little bit of reading. You can get your head around Woolies Financials. That's a massive company. Really, really, JB Hi-Fi, same thing, really simple, right? What does it do? Okay, I know what it does. Okay, well, how many stores has it got? How are sales going? What does management talk about? How do they explain it? Those things are really, really relatively easy. Yeah, we'll say easy to understand. Now, and then you look through the P&L, so, okay, well, they said sales are up. What's this revenue line? It's that, okay, cost of goods sold. What's that? Google it. What's got? Oh, okay. Oh, it's the inventory they sell. Okay, cool. I got that. The, you know, it's yeah. really, really not. If you if you care a little bit and you're interested enough to make the effort, which you are by definition because you're listening to this and you're investing in stocks. Um, but uh, Buffett, I can tell you, mate. I can tell you, I don't have any formal qualification. You just said just Google. I, th- I think I've I've just Googled it over the last twenty years. Basically, oh, it's a, like you come across new ideas yeah. and and wow, what does that mean? Look into it. You know, you'll figure it out. But that's not a bad thing. Like that. That's. It's perfectly good. There's no, there's no, you don't need it. Honestly, man, I have started. So there's this thing called the Graduate Diploma of Applied Finance and Investment, right? It's the mm-hmm. yep. air quotes gold standard for, for analysts. I have started that thing three times. I finished, I think, a subject and a half. It just bored me to tears because it's all of the useless algebra and rubbish that goes with it. You know, Buffett said if he taught business school, he would just teach business. So was it uh, margin of safety and what's the other one? Mr. Market, I think the Mr. Market analogy. He's like, that's all I, yeah, that's all right. I teach in, in business school. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the holiday you need to do all this ridiculous algebra to try and find a way to invest. Um, it's really, really not that hard. Uh, so, you know, but the other thing I was going to say is, speaking of Buffett, uh, he says he doesn't try and jump over seven foot bars. He looks for one yeah. foot bars he can step over. And you know yeah. what? If you look at a company and go, so it's this business, got $200 million market, $500 million worth of CapEx, da 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 burning camera. You know what? I, I did this for a quid. I'm like, I'm not looking at that. I just, mm. I, you know, there's easy things to go and do. Go and look for the one-foot bars, right? Do, do I know if they can fund it? No. Well, do I want to take a punt on that? Almost certainly not. I mean, maybe have a look to see if, you know, if you can find the answer. How are they going to fund it? Oh, we've got a guaranteed line of funding from Westpac who are going to do, okay, great. Well, that's Okay, now we're in business, right? Or yep. Yep. there's a strategic shareholder who are going to do this and this and this. Great, okay, fine. If it's yep. not, it's like, well, you probably, you know, it, it, 
sometimes a bit like the, the medical medicinal cannabis thing we talked about. Just just kind of go, mm. I don't know, move on. It's it's really yeah. okay to move on. There's two thousand companies out there. It's really not that. <laughs> I don't I don't overplay it. I don't want to also make it sound like it's either too hard or too easy. But it's not as hard as it might otherwise seem. I think you can reasonably assume you're going to get there. There's, there's that, you know, that meme where it's got the bell curve and it's got those sort of faces at the left end and the right end and then the, right in the middle of the distribution. It sort of, it'll say something on the left like, all you need is a PE ratio or something. Mm. And then you've got someone in the middle saying, no, I need a uh, multivariate DCF cash flow extrapolated over this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then you've got sort of the Jedi at the far right that just yeah. says, just use the PE ratio. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. There's various yeah. versions of yeah. that, but I do love it. There's, there is a journey I think you go on yes. as an investor. I think yes. it's actually very worthwhile getting into some of the concepts that they teach at business schools and the rest of it. Yeah. So you know... Because they they are they are valuable um, as long as you don't take them too literally and seriously. <laughs> right. And I think having gone through the journey, you return back to where you started from, but just much wiser and knowing really what it is that 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 you're that you're looking at here. And you can again, you you, you can you can look at two people can look at one metric and get very different sort of outcomes from it. And the the person who sort of understands more of that nuance is going going to just sort of hang on, uh, fit it into a, what's the word? What am I trying to say here? You will, simple is often better as long as you've got the the depth of understanding to understand the power in that simplicity yes. and to know its limitations. There's a great quote, I think it's an Einstein, but it probably isn't, maybe JP Morgan to use our usual joke. Uh, yes, everything should yeah. be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Yeah, I think that was Einstein. Yeah. There you go. I'll get one every now and again. Um, there you go. I- or Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Mark Twain. <laughs> Let's finish off, mate, with uh, one from Twitter, uh, one from Nims, who just says, Hi, Scott, I have a question for the pod machine. It gets back to what we were talking about, which is why I'm throwing it in here. I've got a question for the pod machine. Once you have found a business you like that ticks most of the required boxes below, I'll get to those in a second, how do you determine if the current share price is cheap or overvalued? I understand yeah. with the rest, but struggle with determining if a business is cheap or overpriced. And Nims says, My criteria for a good business, one, it's founder led. Two, competent and honest management. Three, a good balance sheet, including low debt. Four, will be bigger and better business in five plus years. And five, has a competitive advantage. I like those five. Mm. That's a pretty nice- Good list. Isn't it? Great list. Yeah. But you find that, how do you know whether the price is right, mate? <sighs> um, <laughs> look at the first ratio. lot today. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the the- you you can't answer that question without having some view on what the future cash flows look like. And I'm not saying to 10 decimal places for every qu- quarter from here until eternity. Yeah. But I, I, again, I, I think I've outlined a, a simple approach I quite, I'm quite fond of is I'll go out three or five years. What's the profit like at that point? Um, what's that look like on a per share basis? What's an average multiple for a company like that? Mm. Multiply the two together and you get a, a what the share price might be in the, at the end of that period. And then just look at it compared to the current price. Is it is enough? If I buy it now, does that give me a 10, 20, whatever percent return between here and now per annum? Um, if so, it's cheap. Um, if not, it's not. And that's kind of, it's a really great way of looking at it. Of course, it's only as, it's only as valid as your estimate is, mm. but I would come back to that point of don't, overcomplicated. I like to do a very nice sanity check of just saying, well, what's sales and revenue are the best one to look at because that's sort of, it's right at the top line, right? There's before any adjustments and whatever can be made. Look at that. 
How's it growing? I don't know. Is this the kind of company that's on track for three, four, five, you know, slow growth, mature business? Or is it a growth business where it's growing 20, maybe even 30% um, per annum? What's a margin look like? What's a net margin for a company like in, in this kind of space look like? Uh, you know, times one by the other, you've just got the profit. I've only guessed at two things here and I've hopefully made pretty informed decisions. And then all I need to do is come up with a guess multiple. I mean, you know, again, three guesses and they, those can compound out to be wildly off. But geez, it's much easier than, than than going way, way into the weeds. It's a really nice hack just to sort of start there. Like and that. and then again, I will say there are, it is a starting point and then maybe an ending point once you've sort of backfilled all of the the, mm. the other things that support the assumptions that, that you make. But uh, I think that's I think that's a pretty good way of going about it. Do I reckon the uh, analyst community, all um, us and other people, really did, did new investors a massive disservice? I'm talking about the PE rather than the earnings yield. Yeah, massive yeah. disservice. So it's the same number, it's right? The same so, number inverted. So right? Price yeah. earnings ratio is the price divided by the earnings. Price of ten dollars, earnings of a dollar. The PE is ten. And you'll say to me, "Is that is, is PE is ten good or is it bad?" Now there is no single answer to that for a whole lot of reasons, including the growth you talked about, Ram. But if you started with saying, actually, what's the earnings yield, which is earnings divided by price? So think about interest rate, right? If, you, if you're going to get $1 a year, you put $100 up, one divided by 100, that's 1%. Okay, I'm getting a return of 1%. That's, that's everyone. Yes. People get that, right? We just get those sort of returns. It's cash in the bank. Yeah. Now, the bank says I'm going to give you 2.5%, so you know you get $2.50 for every 100 bucks. But you do it otherwise. You say, okay, well, hang on, $2.50 a year, $100, 2.5%. Okay, fine. You can do that with shares. You can take the earnings, yeah. rather than saying price divided by earnings, saying, well, it's 10 times earnings. You say, well, hang on, I'm getting a dollar of earnings and I've got to pay $10 for that. So I'm getting a return of 10%. Okay, well, I understand that then. Return of 10% seems pretty good. Okay, well, that's a decent starting point. And I, yeah. I honestly might think, you know, we're not going to change the world, unfortunately. But if we just literally change that around, I reckon there'd be oh, heaps more investors who hold oh, yeah. go, I, I get the first thing. Now, now I'm on, on that page. Now, if you get a 5% upfront return, you're going to say, well, that doesn't seem very much. I hope it's going to grow reasonably. I mean, it, it must be, you know, it's going to be growing. I guess I'll start with five. If I get more in future years because earnings which, goes Which is up. a PE of 20, right? Right, right. So that right. sounds pretty good. If I get a PE of, if I get an earnings yield of 15, like 15%, wow, okay, well, either this company is really, really, really cheap or the earnings aren't sustainable, but you kind of know that because 15% seems really good, but how mm. consistent and sustainable is it? I just reckon it's a much, much different way to go. So when you're asking NIMS about the right price to pay, Generally speaking, a lower PE is better than a higher PE because it's a higher earnings yield, rather lower earnings yield. But the growth matters. If you get an upfront return of 5%, but that's going to grow quickly versus 10% that's never going to grow, imagine in your head the graph, right? 10% is a flat line, 10% every year. Good, really good. But 5% the next year is 6 and the year after that is 7.5%, the year after that is 15 the year after that is 25 Wow, hang on. And think about, you know, it sounds ridiculous, right? Think about the growth in share price of, say, I don't know, Apple or Tesla or something else. You know, the the... the you look like you're paying a high price five years ago. That price looked really, really cheap right now. Yep. Yep. And remember, wasn't that only a few years ago, it was very common to see growth stocks. We, we had to use price to sales because there wasn't any earnings. They were pre pre. Well, we didn't, we didn't have to. So, uh, some of us like me, speaking of, speaking of looking stupid for a while, I was always the commodity <laughs> in the yeah. corner going, price to sales is the most stupid metric I've ever heard of in my entire life. You people are idiots. Yeah. And it was like, well, when you've got nothing at, else, this, right? That. Well, that's what people you did, got- right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and yeah, so so you were getting companies regularly, mm. big ones too, with price to sales of 50 and stuff. And said <laughs> and people would say, "Well, is that high? Is that low? I don't know." We just yeah. think it through from first principles. What that means literally is that this company maintains its sales for 50 years, mm-hmm. somehow manages to operate with zero cost and paying <laughs> zero tax. Yes. And pays out every single last cent of sale for 50 years and you'll get your money back before you've even adjusted for inflation. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how – is that a big number? Yeah, that's a big number. Now, in some cases it's actually fine because the explosive – the growth can be so explosive mm. for, for companies that go on to scale globally and the rest of it. And, again, there lies the variant perception, you know, um, but – but it is. It should show you that it's a pretty bloody big hill to climb, mm. and that you need to be super, super, super confident of your growth. Otherwise, you're going to get it handed to you. Now, some companies get there. By the way, um, there yeah, is. Yeah, a, sure. I know, sort of, Amazon probably would have price size of fifty at some point. I imagine Salesforce.com in the US similar. Even zero here may have been at one point, and it just managed to do that, yeah. scale those mountains. But again, remember. Those are the three examples, and frankly, the only three examples I can think of. There'd be more, but they don't come to mind, obviously. Uh, how many companies would have been on 8, 10, 20 times sales, what, 18, 24 months ago? More, more yep. than I can count very quickly. Can I just say, apparently, I just dialed up a zero on Comsec here. Yeah. Um, the PE ratio, ratio is 2,579. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. It's a lot. Now, uh, before anyone writes in, uh, happy zero shareholders, <laughs> yes, I understand that there's a reason for that. Yep. And uh, I understand that earnings could jump a lot higher too. There's a lot of sort of growth investment in in all of that. But again, that just, it, it gives you a really great starting point, doesn't it? Man, there's a lot of stuff baked into this. Yep. How do earnings grow to the degree that they need to grow at? And uh, they'll lay it out for you, or at least they'll lay out that what they want you to understand about the business in these in these decks, so-called. Um but yeah, what it, the, I think full circle on answering the question, we've not done anything with the spreadsheet so far, but yes, you can yes. still just with these numbers get a handle on on something. You can at least put it in a ballpark of cheap, expensive, average. Um, and again, once you've got the context of the growth that you think is likely achievable, then th- th- you can start making calls like cheap or expensive much more definitively. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice way to finish off, mate. It is, and Nims, there is no. Here's the thing, right? There can be no universal formula for absolute success. Formulas of ways, ways to calculate things. There's algebra you can use, but if it was, if it was that obvious, and this is the hard part, right? If it was that obvious and easy, then computers would do it, and then would get another job. We'd go fishing, or we'd have to, you know, work in those mines or something, uh, because there'd be no the variant perception you talked about, mate, earlier. Of here's why I think the market's wrong, and here's what I think the market's wrong about. Uh, yeah. And that is just really, really hard. But I really would encourage everybody, including, uh, oh, I think almost every question we had today, um, keep it simple early on. Really, don't don't try to do the triple twist with Pike up front. Go off the one meter board and just try and get the diving technique. Just try and get in the water without splashing too much, right? And then you can mm-hmm. work on complexity and you can go up to the higher things. Those things will come in time. It's tempting to want to keep up with the Joneses and medicinal cannabis. Everyone's making money. The shares are on a tear. Gee, maybe I want me some of that. I, I get a really absolute. Hard, I was I was that guy when I started. Right? It's not. There's no. Uh, there's no, uh, oh, yeah. no criticism here. Like I've been there. But what I have learned, what you've learned, is just just really honestly keep it simple. Just find a business you can understand. Understand how it works. Understand what sort of growth you're expecting. Pick bullies or coals. How like how much are they likely to grow at? You and I can probably say, you know what. 
they're pretty saturated. They're probably going to have a lot of stores. Maybe Aldi takes a bit of share. Maybe it doesn't. The growth's probably going to be roughly population plus a bit maybe. Okay, so there's your yep. starting point. Okay, and then you can start to say, right, yep. well, now what would that might look over over three, four, five years? Okay, that gives you something. You can say, well, how much am I paying for that? By the way, well, this seems expensive to me right now because for a you know, relatively slow growth business, you're paying a PE of, is it still 20? Um, you know, these are these are expensive. But, but start with- 28. It's 28. <sighs> Don't start with the one where you've got to add CapEx or you've got to wonder whether the new- technology device will be able to come to market before more shares need to be raised, how much tax they might pay, whether the tax rate will change. I mean, these are all real questions, right, for those sort of companies. And when you get yep. to it, by all means, dig in and really go to town or not. But don't don't start with the double twist, you know, the, the triple twist in pike. You're gonna you're gonna bring yourself undone. You're gonna give up investing because it's too hard. You'll lose some money. Oh, I'm never gonna be able to do this. I knew I wouldn't. This is terrible. You know, genuinely do yourself over. Start with the easy stuff and then work up from there. Mate, Woolies is such a good example. Um, I, I've been saying it for years. It's just like I think it's one of the best companies on the ASX. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just is. It's, like, like, yep. it's going to be around for a long time. Yep. It's going to be earning a lot of money. It's been paying lots of dividends and the rest of it. It's just Huge too expensive. Base, great brand. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it is. That's right. I mean, it has been since 2021, you know? Like it just, it just is. And it's not because I'm some savant or that I can read into the future. It's just how does a company it, – it, so flip it around again. Let's call it 30 just to make it mm-hmm. sort of easy here. I'm basically getting a 3% earnings yield. In other words, if they pay out every single last cent of profit – Yep. They don't leave anything for growth. They don't leave uh, anything for anything, really. It's just any money made is is straight out the door. It's going to take me 30 years to sort of get my my money back. And that's fine if you think that they're going to grow at 8 9 10% per year for a sustained period of time. But ask yourself, and it's not impossible, right? They could go into something. Maybe they, if they made a real um, success of hardware, then that, that w- would have been the story. But how else is it going to happen? There's, there's not, only, not many places left that doesn't have a Woolies, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's only so much you can put up yep. prices and yep. screw suppliers, right? Yep. Like you know, They will do what they can do and they have sustained exceptional growth for a very, very long period of time. But for the last 10 or 20 years, it is single digit, mid single digit sort of ballpark. And, and I think the market is implicitly saying right now, and I don't, get it for any any I don't make make any sense of it but that it's somehow now as an even bigger company likely to grow at a rate far greater than historical average yeah, that's right. it, it, well the my guess is my guess is that it is there's a safety premium yes. that that gets put on it I think there's a lot of if you've got a lot of money and you're a bit worried about uh, the markets, inflation, these kinds of things. It's a store of value asset yeah. and then it's probably not great value, but more or less the bulk of my capital, more, more pertinently, the bulk of my purchasing power will be there in five and 10 years time. So I'm happy to pay ostensibly well over what it's worth for that very reason. That's pure speculation on, on my part because otherwise it makes no sense. And again, before anyone writes in angry letters, I think it's a great business. I just, I just don't think it's a great I think, price. I think you're right, man. I think it's, it's absolute safety. There's a two and a half percent fully frank dividend yield. So some people actually don't care about the share price anymore. They're there for the income. And I don't, I don't mind that, by the way. You know, you, you, you can once you get to a certain age and, and you've got a certain amount of money in your portfolio, the share price kind of, you know, you can afford to simply say, well, I bought an annuity. I bought an income stream from Woolies and I'm yeah. going to get that. And the share price will do whatever it does. And I don't really need to care because as long as I have my dividend check every six months, I'm sweet. You know, that, so Although I would say, I would say very quickly, that still doesn't make a lot of sense at the moment when I can get a term deposit with a better rate. You know, I'll even if you gross I'll, it out with franking yeah. credits, it just sort of seems like, God, there's not even that argument there at this point yeah, in yeah, time. Yeah. Lease versus cash. Um, yes. I, I think there's a, there's a blue chip thing to it. 
uh, and a lot of people, was, you know, we talked about CSL last week. There is some sense, I think, of that whole idea of just is what it is, what it is, what it is. So it's kind of everyone's paid a fortune for all this forever because they think it's safe and premium. Therefore, it's kind of got one. And that works until it doesn't. Well, this was $20 a share uh, a few years ago now, but not that long ago, down from 30 something because um, the market a bit carried away and then realized it wasn't so good. By the way, mate, let's finish off. Just We've got a bit over time, but this this is just, I'm not going to name the uh, analysts. You can see it on Comsec. I, 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 I'm a Comsec customer. And I don't know how much of this is their IP that I'm paying for one way or the other, so I won't, won't disclose it all publicly. What I will say is they, they list on their website the recommendations from some brokers and analysts as well as the aforementioned consensus, bringing us full circle for the episode. Uh, the share price is currently $38.55 as we're recording this on, recording this on Tuesday, recording early this week. Uh, we, uh, but, so, 30, so keep $38.50 in your head, roughly. One analyst has a buy target, which is a stupid idea anyway, of $42.80. And they're saying it's <laughs> a buy, right? One has a sell rating with a price target of $27. Now, this is one of the biggest and best companies in the country where nothing is unknown about Woolies, right? It's not like there's, there's yeah. no information asymmetry. There's no knowledge And not complex. not complex. One says $27. Yeah. One says $42.80, called 43 bucks. Uh, another one says overvalued. The fair value is $33.95. And the consensus estimate is hold. So make of <laughs> all that what you will. What do you do with Woolies? Well, one else says buy. One says sell. The average is hold. By definition, <laughs> someone's wrong in that. At least one person is wrong in that in that uh, in that group. Uh, it's just I, I, just a reminder, mate, that you know, don't don't ever think the smart money is that much smarter than the rest of us because no, you know, not they're not smart people. Not they're not trying really hard. The future is unknowable. Yeah. But but you know, if you'd have said what's a consensus, well, it's hold. But hang on, one one broker says buy, one says sell, so the average is hold. Sure, but that's the old economist thing of the economist, the bloke who puts a hand, one hand in the oven, one hand in the freezer, and says on average it's pretty comfortable. You know, <laughs> yes, it's, it's yeah. this is very useful to anybody. Um, yeah. So yeah, just it just takes us full circle uh, back to consensus I, and, and all that sort of stuff. I know we've gone over time, but um, I, go, go for I, it. Gu- I guess it's on you, dear listener, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> As always, <laughs> but I will. I, I think it's 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 a really nice way to tie together a lot of the things we've been talking about in this yeah. episode. So just just indulge me a little bit here. We'll go through an exercise using consensus and valuation and trying to tie it all together because it's such a wonderful example with Woolies. So I went to one of the earlier questions which we forgot to touch on is where do you get this consensus? Um, Well, where I happen to get it from is Comsec. Why? Because I just happened to, that's the broker that I use and (laughs) I know they have it. I'm sure it's in a million other places, but that's, that's where I go. I just go to the forecast uh, uh, tab and then, then it's got, it tells me that in the year 2025 consensus earnings per share estimates is $1.63. Okay, so 2022, they did $1.36, and it's not terrible growth. It's actually pretty decent growth. Um, okay, that's what they're expecting. So let's not just assume that they're right, but let's assume what's implicit in that assumption. Mm. Let's also assume that I want, and this is a, you enter your own numbers that's appropriate to you, but I kind of want, I, I kind of desire at least 10% total return right. per year, every year. And just to keep it easy, I'm going to leave dividends out of the equation. Frankly, by so the way, that's what the market does. So it's not only you desire that, but you can pretty much get yeah. likely, no no promise on the future, you can likely get that with an ETF. So it's not even a case of I have this outlandish view of this is how much I want. So I'm. it's like, no, literally you can get close enough to that buying an ETF. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, that's what I want, you know. Um, yep. In fact, I want more, but that's yep. that's kind of a that's kind of a, a threshold for me. So, well, it's thirty eight fifty as you said at the moment. So times that by one point one, so add ten percent, then do that three years in a row. So we go out to to twenty twenty five financial year. 
So it says for me to get that return, again, we're excluding dividends. That's I, I, The share price needs to be 51 bucks and change at that point in time. Right. Okay. Well, the analysts reckon it's $1.63. So I can, again, divide price by earnings and get an, a PE of 32. So what it's saying, so what I, I can back engineer this yeah, and I yeah. can now say what the market thinks, or at least these analysts, is that A, earnings per share is going to go from 136 to 162. I can't annualize that and do it in my head, but you know, it's actually pretty decent growth for, for the size of the business. So uh, A, do I think that they that they can do that? If they do do that, I still need the market at that point in time in the next three years to be giving this company, which probably works out to sort of be, I'm going to guess it's seven, eight percent per annum, something like that, that figure. For a company that's growing at that respectable rate, not eye-watering, mm-hmm. it's worth paying an earnings yield of less than 3% on at that point in time. Now, again, that, stranger things could happen. It could be on a PE 50 at that time. I, I don't know. But that's now I know if I'm looking at it today or I'm holding it today, what do I need to see happen? I need to see a combination of both of those two things. And if one of them falls short, the other's got to do more heavy lifting, i.e. earnings per share have to be even stronger or the multiple has to be even higher. And to me, it suggests that even if you expect a really good, <laughs> consistent growth, yes. let's say it happens. Let's say it happens. So again, I can do it a different way. So $1.63. Let's say that the, the and this is also somewhere on the side as well, but this gives you the average annual PE ratio of the business. So it goes back over 10 years. So in 2014, it traded at an average PE of 18. Interest rates were different then, but, you know, let's then it's sort of 16, 20, 21, 22 uh, for, for most of a period. And then in recent years, as I've argued, it's gone up quite quite a lot. But it doesn't mean, it means that, okay, well, let's, let's assume that the PE is 25 at that point in time. That's still a pretty high PE for a company growing at this, at this kind of rate. Yes, well, yes. again, again, I can do the math. 163 times 25 equals $40.75. In other words, I buy shares today at 38.55. The company grows exactly in line with consensus estimates. It still trades at a PE that is above its long-term historical average and pretty robust just on an objective basis relative to the kind of growth it is achieving under our scenario. And I get to sell it three years later for $40.75. In other words, I'm making a a two-buck capital gain for every share that I, I make. <laughs> Over, what, four Where's years on a, on a $38 share price? It's just, it's a, yeah. Great company. Yeah. Great company. Where's the asymmetry there? It's like if I'm right, I might get the, sl- the tiniest of tiny returns <laughs> and, yes, add in yes. some dividends and it gets okay. If I was very happy for a very safe long-term return of 6 7%, mm-hmm. I think Woolies is probably worth having a look at. If you want a, a better return than that, I just can't for the life of me make that make sense. And but it, no, I'm, I'm right or wrong, but hopefully, hopefully that, that sort of helped you think through the pro- – well, at least how I've approached it there to sort of arrive at that conclusion of whether it's expensive or not. And I think it's expensive. I think that's perfect, mate. I, and I think what we need our listeners to know, to understand, is we're not saying the price can't do those things or won't do those things. It may yeah, well be a fifty-one dollar share price in three, four years' time, yep. because the market could simply decide to pay even more for those shares. Now, if you're an investor who's saying, "Well, how do I know how much the market's going to pay?" You can't. There is no possible way to know that. What you can do is say, on a reasonably, not even necessarily hyper-conservative, but on, on a reasonable assessment, if, if you know, I can't assume or, or rely on the market being irrational 
at that point. Mm. Yeah. For, for, to, right. to Andrew's point, what he's really saying is, if I get $51 at that point, the market will still be irrational and probably more irrational than it is now. And that's the bet I'd have to make. Yeah, that's the PE Woolies. going from 28 to 33. Right. So I'm actually expanding, expecting a high PE to expand further. And those earnings growing at a pretty good rate, like a pretty good clip for, for a very, 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 very mature business. You know, th- those, things, those things aren't small assumptions. Now, it could happen. But on balance of probabilities, what you're looking for as an investor is where are the short putts? Where are the one-foot bars that I just talked about, right? It's it, the, the degree of difficulty or, or the, the things that have to go right for Andrew's thesis to play out and buying Woolies now and having a 10% annual return for the next four years, it's just really, really unlikely. I, I, hopefully that's that's reasonably clear by, by the uh, description that Andrew gave before about how that, what would need to happen for that to work. Now, I will say the flip side is also true, mate. I bought Amazon shares when it was making no money. It was unprofitable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And people say to me, how can you possibly buy Amazon? And it's no, There's no dividends. There's no earnings. How can you value this thing? Mm-hmm. And honestly, at that point, I had, now I've been investing for a while by then, but I had taken a view that the sheer astronomical rate of growth of Amazon was growing at 20% plus a year for years and years and years. And it was big, but but still, you know, I, was, I think at the point it was a fraction of the size of Walmart or maybe some, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my view was that it could grow meaningfully quickly for a meaningful amount of time based on some assumptions. Now, those assumptions may not have come true either, but I paid an astronomical PE, if you like. Uh, there probably wasn't one. If, the, if there was any earnings, it was probably a 1,000 times earnings or something, specifically because I thought the future was going to... Now, I've been right thus far. I may still be wrong. And I'm not saying this to, you know, hashtag humble brag. It's, it's literally a case of, in that case, I knew what had to happen. I thought it was likely, so I was happy to do it. But mm. And by the way, I thought at that point, I didn't buy Woolies, I bought Amazon because of the things Andrew's talking about. Well, this has always been reasonably expensive. And you go, well, hang on, it's not going to grow. So uh, we've said before, you know, uh, growth covers a multitude of valuation sins. If Amazon can double and double and double again as a business, there's a very good chance it can find a way to become profitable enough to pay my then purchase price X number of years ago. Um, and look, so far so good. It could have gone, gone very, very differently. But what's really important yeah. is you think about what needs to go right for you to make the return you want. That's what Andrew just described with Woolworths. Really clearly, just going through it, saying this is what the process looks like. This is what needs to happen. These are the returns I'd need. The market would need to pay this much. The market would need to believe Woolies is on only worth an energy of three <laughs> percent. You know, at, at that point, for us, to, you know, is that likely? No. Is it possible? Yeah, of course it is. Anything's possible. Every company's worth buying if you want to care about possibilities. But if your job is to say probability, say what's the probability Woolworths is, you know, at, at that price at that point, not very high. Now again, we've Ignore dividends deliberately, but just I want to mention that again just quickly. Otherwise, you've got to say, well, okay, what needs to happen? And by the way, the other thing is you don't need a view on every stock. You look at Woolies and go, is it likely? Mm, probably not. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's find something else to buy because this one doesn't seem likely to give me a good, a great return. I don't need to, I don't need to work out when specifically to buy Woolies, wait for that, and just buy Woolies. I can say, I've got a dollar. There's 2,000 companies out there. I'll start with Woolies. Does it look yep. attractive enough to buy? No. Cool. What about Coles? Yep. No. JB Hi-Fi? Well, that's interesting. That's only 10 times earnings. That's an earnings yield of 10%. Okay, well, gee, my sales might be bumpy. Okay, yeah, but will they be bumpy forever? And will JB Hi-Fi be a better business in five years than it is today? And if it is, and I'm buying a yield of 10% now, aren't I getting an even better return then? Yeah, maybe. Okay, well, just in retail land alone, I've kind of already now got some sort of hierarchy of you know, potential ideas, what I think, what might happen, how likely that thing is to happen. I'm in, a, I'm in a reasonably good point at that point because I'm happy to take a 10% starting yield on that one. It's a, by the way, free free pick. It is a recommendation of Motley Fool Share Advisor. I don't own it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we've taken that view that 
the downturn might be interesting over the next 10, 12 months. I don't really, I genuinely don't care because I'm going to mm. hold this one for three to five years at least. And so I'm looking at that going, okay, well, I think it's very reasonable. If I buy an earnings yield of 10% now, mm-hmm. the share price is probably going to be as high, maybe even higher. If it's the same level, I get 10% a year. Great. Yep. If I don't, yep. well, okay. If it goes a bit better than today's level of earnings, I'm ahead by a little bit more. Okay. Is it possible to go backwards? Yeah. By much? Probably not. There's my asymmetry that Andrew just talked about. There's more, there you go, more upside than downside. That's that's exactly what you want. Spot on. Um, I love it, mate. Look, I'll, go, I'll finish the thought in, in, the, in the sense of, because then I think the next logical question is, well, if it's not at the right price for you now, what is the right price? Yes, exactly. And, and, you, and again, so let's let's just start off with the basic numbers. They In FY22, they earned $1.36. Back to Woolies, um, yep. Probably far, far enough through the year where you could have a better guess at what they are <laughs> yeah, at now. Yeah. But look, I'm just, just for the exercise. And I said before, I think sort of mid-single-digit growth. Now, again, I don't think that they – not that they can't do more than that. I think the target here is based, I think, on 6 or 7% sort of growth. But again, I want margin of safety, right? I want to mm-hmm. – I don't want to have to assume perfection. So let's just say I'm just going to – Get out the old calculator and times that by 1.05 for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I buggered it up. <laughs> I times it by <laughs> 1.5, which is just going to be a, <laughs> Much whole, a whole bunch more. 50% growth in the next go. three years. I'm buying Woolies today. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? 1.36. Oh, I buggered it up, mate. This is this is, this is is the dangers of doing it. <laughs> live doing podcasting, a, baby. Oh, we we should do a genuinely live okay. episode one day on YouTube or something. Yeah, that'd be fun. Just, be just, fun. For, okay, just for sure, go on. I've done it. So I got I got pretty close to consensus there. I got $1.57 in the year FY25. Just by taking today's number, the most recent full year number, and growing it by 5%. Sue yeah. me. That's just that's been my assumption. You again, you can plug in your own your own numbers there. Mm-hmm. And I am gonna say that, well, for a company that's growing at mid-single digit rates, I think something like a, you know, it's gonna be hard to be more than a P of 20, right? Because that's a 5% mm-hmm. earnings yield there to, to use your um, uh, better definition. So I'm gonna go for 20. Again, use the numbers that you like. So that means it's going to be $31.48 in three years' time under, under my scenario. Right. Again, I want 10%, so I'm just going to go divide that by 1.1, three times. I have a target price. There's your favourite term. Uh-huh. A target price of $23.65. Um, will it ever get there? I don't know. Um, just have so I I've, been a little yeah, bit too I, aggressive there? Maybe, maybe. But as a, as a scenario, yeah. it's That's not unreasonable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and 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 I don't look. I know that my I know that that target valuation is going to be wrong because it just it all it always is. But directionally, probably not too badly wrong. But when I look at Mr. Market and say, well, I can buy it for thirty eight fifty five, and I've just worked out that a much more attractive investment is at twenty three seventy seven. They're miles apart, <laughs> miles apart from each other. Yeah. At some point in time, I suspect it will change. I don't know for whatever reason or when that will happen, but it'll happen as it as it surely does. And at that point, this is a very different conversation, even with the exact same growth growth assumptions. If I could pick this up at $20 a share, I'll probably never get the chance. But if I, if I can, sell everything and back up the truck, right? Because it's an inc- not only is it a decent return, but on a risk-adjusted basis, given it's Woolies, it's an incredible return. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, as you say, plenty of other fish in the sea. Yep. Now, now that we've said all of this, mate, um, can I just timestamp this? Because it is... Uh, <laughs> Are we? Uh, early May 2023. Someone will be listening to this in six months' time and the share price stock. will be yep. $100. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> we should go out and buy it right now. We're not going to. We should. Um, <laughs> no. Yes. no, mate. Mate, great, great conversation. Great summary. I think it's a really useful way. Uh, a bit of an unexpected, a uh, bit of valuation class at the end of this end of this podcast. But yeah, I actually it doesn't thought, have to be hard. 
I will remember that we should uh, we should do a live YouTube or something just just for the just for the sheer fun, fun. Of yeah, I'm up for just, it. just for a laugh. Um, maybe even a live member Q and A. That'd be uh, listen to Q and A. That'd be fun too. All right, yeah, cool. cool. Anyway, let's round this one up. You can, as I said, follow Andrew on all the socials. Uh, actually, only one of them. Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon. Only one underscore at Strawman Invest. Follow yes. me uh, TMF Scott P on Twitter and Insta or at The Motley Fool AU on both, or Facebook, fool, uh, fool, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. Email us, info at fool.com.au. With any of your questions, we will get to them as quickly as we can. We actually haven't got too many in the bag. Now is a great time. If you're still listening, you're probably not. If you're still listening, now is a great time. If you ever had a question you want to ask, uh, we've got a few, but uh, now is a great time to add yours to the list, get towards the front of the queue. Yeah, hit us up. Will you come back next Friday? Yeah, man. Try and stop me. <laughs> See you until then. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.